Hey, good to see you all. My name is Jim. If you're new to our church, I'm one of the pastors here in Woodside Lake Orion. It's great to have each one of you uh, joining us in worship today. And even as Jeremy led on to, and we watched a video of, we're launching all of our uh, missions trips, or really our groups going out to the mission field with our global partners throughout the world. And uh, we really believe strongly that this is uh, an amazing way for you to uh, grow your faith. And when I think back of all the teams that I've led at different places, um, man, God has profoundly stirred in my heart and my mind in many different ways personally, but also, man, just an, a constant awareness and openness to what God is doing around the world and that God has a heart for the nations. And uh, I'll continue to press on that. I think it's, it's, it's vital for us as followers of Jesus. Many times we get very myopic here in the United States as to like, this is what is happening in the church today. And this is how the world is. But really, man, God is doing unbelievable things around the world. And we even get myopic in the way that we worship in this place and, or, or, or in, in the West. I mean, when you go to other places and you see how God is moving, God is worshiped, God is pushing forward and, and really being challenged in your faith and uh, man, not worrying about and how am I going to afford it or bring it, but just praying about God. If this is something you're calling me to, what does it look like? Uh, if, you, if you got a bulletin as you walked in uh, or you can scan the QR code behind me, it'll take you to all of our trips for this year. There's a bunch of them. Um, I'm actually going to be leading a trip back to uh, Nepal this October, working with ODI, our Daughters International, or rescuing girls out of trafficking, helping them from the border, being trafficked across. And we're going to be teaching them some life skills because one of the things is when you bring them out of, uh, of that life, teaching them life skills and teaching them uh, the, a way to move forward as they're being discipled and mentored has been an unbelievable experience for them and for us, really. And so I'm looking forward to taking a team back to work with them and uh, doing our best to help and empower them for the kingdom of God. All right. Uh, if you want to turn to Daniel chapter 5, we're going to be in Daniel today uh, just kind of continuing in our series as we've been walking for the last number of weeks in a series, Daniel, uh, the clash of cultures, and just seeing how um, Daniel's life can speak into our own, and seeing how the life that Daniel is living, where much of what's happening around him is in opposition to his faith, we are experiencing in part ourselves, and how does it inform how we function and live, and live out the kingdom of God here in this kingdom? In a culture that maybe isn't advantageous more and more every single day to being a follower of Jesus. And for, for the last number of weeks, it's been fantastic just wrestling with what Daniel had to wrestle with and finding ourselves in the text. And the same as today, I want us to find ourselves here in the text and see how it doesn't inform our own issues and struggles in our own hearts. And we're going to be talking about the rule and reign of God in our lives today. And when I was thinking, processing it, as I always try to do myself before I teach to you, just wrestling with the whole idea of a reigning. When you think about that, people ruling and reigning, we don't necessarily have that in our world today as much. You might have a, the Queen of England ruling or reigning at the time, but really we know that's really not even really happening as much anymore. And, and, and we don't like it too much. Honestly, one of the more I process, I personally don't love when people are like reigning over me and I have to obey them or, or whatnot. I like freedom. Anybody else? Yeah, I think we all do. We don't like to be told what to do. We don't like for people to impose their will on us. We like our freedoms. And I knew that from a very young age. Every opportunity I got, I got closer to freedom. You get your license and you're like, I'm free. Then you realize, no, you're not. You've got to pay for gas. 
and your parents can still tell you what to do. And, and then you go on to college. I remember I was like, man, I'm going to college. I get to go to college in Florida. I'll be outside of my parents' like rule and reign. I'm free. And then I figured out the college I went to is like, I'm not free. Uh, they get to tell me when to wake up, how to make my bed, comb my hair, cut my hair, what clothes to wear, all this different stuff. And it was a radical uh, struggle of my own heart in being expelled from Bible school two times of how I don't like people to reign over me, right? Because I like my freedom and I like to reign my, uh, rule in my own life and what, what I think is what's best for me. And honestly, that's not a, a necessarily a bad thing is to long for freedom. But I think many times our, our culture uh, of experiential culture and what we experience every single day sometimes imposes its will on how we function as followers of Jesus when it's the opposite. We are we are, when we give our lives to Jesus, we are entering into the kingdom of God where there is a new king who should be sitting in a place in our heart and our lives, ruling and reigning and informing how I function and live, informing how I, I interact with my, my finances, in, informing how I should raise my children, informing how I should love the world, informing every aspect of my life. But I think many times I struggle, I think maybe you do as well, with the rule and reign of God in our lives in every area. When you talk about reign, the word literally just means to hold royal office. And so as we look at the text today in Daniel 5, I want you to just wrestle with, as I already have been, and God's like very quickly brings to awareness the things of my own soul, is just to wrestle with what areas... Is God not holding royal office in your heart and your life? Is God ruling and reigning in your life? And you might at first blush say, yes, absolutely, because you could take this part of your, your, your life and say, yes, he is. Or this part, yes, he is. But we are really good at compartmentalizing different aspects of our lives. And, and the question goes further than just like, hey, in this one area, in every area of life, does God have a royal seat where he's informing you how to live in that specific area of your life? Is he holding royal office in your life as you are now a part of the kingdom of God where he is king and Lord informing every aspect of your life? But when we look at it, uh, it's not quite the same in the text. That's why I want us to find ourselves in the text. For the last couple of chapters, we've looked at how God has been patiently going after Nebuchadnezzar, the king of, of Babylon. And in the finality of chapter four, he finally brings him into submission and cripples his pride and brings him to humility as he's literally eating grass out with animals. And he finally turns his face back to God and, and really responds to God. And God restores him in, in his response to him. Well, as you transfer from chapter 4 to chapter 5, about 23 years passes, and there's an establishment of a new king. The king's name is uh, Nabonidus. If we were going to have a son, that was our first choice. Nabonidus. But it's about six or seven years of 
struggling and wrestling for the throne to where finally Nabonidus gets the throne. He's the, great grand, or he's the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar and he establishes himself as king, but he's kind of a distant king. Most of the time he's ruling in Persia. So because he's there, he established his son, Belshazzar, as the king of the empire and really ruling on his behalf. And we're gonna be looking at the story of Belshazzar, what happens to him in chapter five and see how he thwarts the rule and reign of God in his life and what are the ramifications, what happens. And unfortunately, he has to learn the same lesson that his grandfather learned, uh, um, Nebuchadnezzar, that God is God and you are not. And God rules in every king and every kingdom uh, in the world and he will not be thwarted in that action. And so for us today, again, I just want us to see ourselves in the text, maybe see how we, different parts of our lives, our heart, are found in the person of Belshazzar and how we might be able to shift and turn to see what it looks like for us to have God hold royal office in every aspect of our heart and our minds. And so just going to see a few things as to what happens when you reject the reign of God in our lives. Well, there's, there's a lot of text. I'm going to skip some of it, read some of it, paraphrase some because we're going to go through the whole chapter. But starting in chapter 1, let's look at chapter 5 and verse 1. Look at, look at it with me. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of thousands. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords and his wives and his concubines drank from them. Then they drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Verse 5. Immediately, I want you to picture this like it would be happening in the room with our imagination. Immediately, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace, opposite of the lampstand, and the king saw the hand as he wrote. Then the king's color changed, and his thoughts alarmed him, and his limbs gave way, and his knees knocked together. It's like a cartoon. The king called loudly to bring the enchanters, the Chaldeans, the, the astrologers, and the king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed and his color changed and his lords were perplexed. Then queen, because of the words, the queen, excuse me, because of the words of the king and his lords came into the banquet hall and the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There's a man in your kingdom in whom the spirit of the holy gods in the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father, the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers. Because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to the interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. So now what happens when we reject the rule and reign of God in our lives? We see here in the king, in King Belshazzar, that we, we blaspheme God. 
We blaspheme God. I mean, we, we no, just a quick background on the text we're reading right now. We know from history and from scripture that, that the Babylonian Empire fell the night we're reading this text right now. The Medo Persian Empire was then in place as uh, the Medo and the Persians the, they, they, they gathered together to go against um, get a, go against Babylon. And so they're there literally in preparation outside the walls of their structure. Well, here, now, Babylon is about to be under siege and they're just throwing a party. And it seems like the king is so confident in what his, his kingdom is, the walls of his place, because Nebuchadnezzar has built an unbelievable kingdom. And probably for good reason, he's, he's got no worries. You just read a little bit about it. The, the walls are round. Babylon were 45 miles of wall, some 80 feet thick and 300 and some feet tall. They literally, made, 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 they, they, they tracked the Euphrates River around the city, almost like a moat. And underneath the walls, they had water that would come under the walls to give them fresh water. They had food for years upon years. And so they're looking, hey, there's people outside the gates. We don't really care. We are all powerful and mighty and we got nothing to worry about. So he throws this pretty big party. You can imagine as you're reading it, the party starts, wine is flowing, and, and then Belshazzar, he, he, he makes this horrible call. He says this, he says in verse 2, that the vessels of gold and silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, has taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought that the king and his lords and his wives and his concubines might drink from them. So they take, what we'll see is, the, the, literally uh, items that were used for worshiping God himself, and they come in and they begin to drink out of them and use them to worship pagan gods of the Babylonians in a moment. And in, in a moment, they're blaspheming God. All blasphemy means is to disrespect God, to show no honor towards God. In a moment, this is what he not only is doing himself, but he's leading everyone else in, in an offense to God. Well, I love it. God has got no place for his arrogance. Brings down a literal hand that they can see that begins to write plaster, right on the plaster of the wall some inscription. And when you read the, the account of what the king does, his response is only but what all of ours would be. You see this happen? It says that the king sees he's physically shaken. The color leaves his skin, his color change. You ever seen someone in a moment, whether they're scared or whatnot, they become maybe white or, or whatever it is. Like they're, 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 their color changes in their skin. I mean, this guy's thinking in a moment like, oh my word, what did I do? His thoughts alarm him. It says that his limbs give way. I'm not going to give too much into this, but that's not just that he's falling down. Really what that means is that uh, when you look into it is you lose your bowels, so that's enough interpretation for that. <laughs> My man is so overwhelmed at what he sees and he knows what it is, he loses functionality. His knees, it says, are knocking together. And his thoughts are alarming him, so he calls in all the people that are smarter, his enchanters and, and, and uh, you know, the astrologers and the rest, the wise men, if you will, and says, hey, give me an understanding, but none of them can. But the queen says, fine, I have someone. Remember this guy, Daniel. You should remember him. You were around when this happened. Daniel can interpret this. But before we get to Daniel's interpretation, you stand like, man, when, when, you, when you thwart the hand of God, when you reject his rule and reign in your life, in a sense, you are blaspheming God. You show no honor to God, the honor that he should have in your life. And this is exactly what we see here. 
What blows me away is that this individual probably would have seen, the text really shows that he did, and heard about what had happened to his grandfather. Like, he was such an offense to God, God was like, we're going to make you a cow. Like, you're going to go out and eat grass with the donkeys, as the scripture says, and made like a wild animal. And in all of that, he says, I don't really care. I don't think God's that powerful. No, I don't really. It doesn't matter to me. It's lost on me that God would do anything. God doesn't need to be honored or glorified, anything like that. So I'm going to actually go get the instruments that are used to worship God, and I'm going to use them to worship things that are made out of the same substance as these cups. I don't know about you, I look at it and I'm like, this guy's an idiot. Oftentimes, I think we look at a lot of scripture like that, like, man, why would Peter do that? Man, why is Jonah trying to outrun God? You can never outrun God. He'll use a whale if he has to. And like I said last week, I think so many times it's really easy for us to see pride in everyone else, but it's very hard to see it in our own lives. And I think the same is here, unless we really do some soul digging to see where our actions are an offense to God. Where we reject wholeheartedly the reign of God, the royal seat God should have in certain aspects of our lives, and it's an offense to God. That if I call myself a follower of Jesus, and I am submitting myself under the lordship of Jesus, he is the king, and I'm a part of his kingdom, but so many times in my life, I'm like, I don't need you to tell me what to do in this. I know how to do it better than you. Or, man, I built this, God. All my success has been me and my hard work, and I'll tell you what I'm going to do with what you've blessed me with. Or I reject, God, what you're saying about this part of my life. And over and over again, we do the opposite of what God calls us to. The opposite of blasphemy is praise. That we tell God exactly who he is. I mean, that's the beauty of coming together with the church is that when we sing, we're holistically with one voice declaring the blessing to God. We're praising God for who he is and what he's done. We're declaring what's true and right and good. And when I live in opposition of that, I'm declaring the opposite. No, God, you don't know what's best for me. You don't get to tell me what to do with my life and my kids and my marriage and my family. No, I get to tell myself that, and I'm going to live this way rather than live according to the will and the way that you have for me. But God calls us something different, not blaspheme, but blessing, that we would live our lives to bless the Lord. As Romans 12 says, to give back only what is able to be given back, my whole life as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to the Lord. My whole life, not just my life at church, not just my life with my family, but my life at work, my life in my private life, my life with my children, my life with every area of my soul submitted to God. But we say, man, what does it look like when we reject God's reign in my life? We we sin against God, but then there's this thing that happens, we we, we continue to repeat what things of the past because we so quickly forget what has happened. I don't know about you, but I forget very easily. I think many people in the scriptures did as well. That's why they continue to repeat the same things. I'm not going to read all the next text. I'm going to jump down to verse 19 if you want to look there with me. It says, and because of the greatness that he gave him, all the peoples, nations, languages trembled and feared before him. Whom? 
he would, he killed. And whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up. And whom he would, he humbled. He's talking about Nebuchadnezzar. He's reminding, reminding him of his grandfather. He says this in verse 20. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne and his glory was taken from him and he, he was driven from among the children of mankind and his mind was made like that of a beast and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys and he was fed grass like an ox and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew. See, there was a breaking that God was doing of his pride that until he knew that the most high God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will, that God is ultimately sovereign. Verse 22, and you, his son, his grandson, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart. Though you knew all this, he's saying, you knew, you saw the way I dealt with your grandfather, right? Verse 23, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven and the vessels of this house have been brought in before you and you and your lords and your wives and your concubines have drank wine from them and you have praised the gods of silver and gold and bronze and iron, wood and stone, which do not see or hear or know, but the God, listen to this phrase, but the God in whose hand is your breath and whose are all your ways you have not So I say we repeat other sins. The king needed Daniel to interpret what was on the wall, but he got a lot more than that. All the wise men couldn't do it, so Daniel comes in and he's offered, hey, in the story, if you read it, he's offered like, hey, you'll get a, the, the robe, the gold, the position of third highest in, in my kingdom. And, and Daniel says, I don't need any of it. He rejects it. I don't need any of that stuff. One commentator says that Daniel meets Belshazzar's request with disdain. He shows no love or honor and really refuses his reward because of it because he, he sees that he's doing the exact same thing as Nebuchadnezzar did all over again repeating what his grandfather did in the same place. I mean, this is essential what Daniel, before he interprets what's on the wall, he's telling him, are you so blind to see what happened to your grandfather? Now you're repeating the same thing over again. You're doing the exact same thing you saw your grandfather do. And did you not see the outcome? He was driven from his kingdom. He was a wild man eating with the, with the wild donkeys. He was like a wild beast. He says, why can't you learn from the past? He says, rather than honor God, you blaspheme him by using the goblets from worship of God for the worship of pagan gods. You ever heard the phrase before, you are just like your mother? Or you're just like your father? I don't know if I've ever heard that said in a positive way. Have you? Like, rarely do I hear, like, you're just like your dad and be like, so gracious and loving and good. Or you're just like your mother, like, man, you are so kind and caring or whatever it is. Almost always it's in the heat of an argument or something else where you're like, you're just like your mom. Just free marriage counseling, never say this. Right? But it's usually in the negative 
form because there's something even wrapped up in the phrase when we say it, that, that, that there's something crazy. You ever find it weird how we end up many times just like our mom and our dad? Like to the best of our abilities, trying not to, we still are. And you find yourself as a parent, you're saying something. As it's coming out of your mouth, you're like, I see myself hearing this from my father, and I hated it then. But here I am saying it. And it could be really funny stuff, but it also can be very negative, right? It can be really positive. You could be the best of your dad, the best of your mom, and there is positive, absolutely. But also, there's this crazy thing that people have a lot of different perspectives on that transfers from one generation to generation, and people call it generational sin or brokenness, that just somehow, I don't know, so many people have different thoughts as to why it finds itself into the next generation. To where you do a family tree, I did something really fun once, and you just talk about your family, you map them out, and you like the positives, the negatives, everything about your family, and then you go down from great-grandpa to grandpa to, to your mom and dad, then to you, and you start to see traits. You're like, why is that? It might be like, hey, you struggle with anxiety, and now you see your children struggling with anxiety. You see lust ravage a family tree. You see, just the love of stuff and the lack of, re- like the, 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 the scarcity mentality go from one family to the next family, to the next family. That we're not really, many times, we're, we're not super good at learning. We're prone to walk in the same problems and struggles, whether it's pride or arrogance or addictions, of past generations. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, learning and growing from that, walking through freedom in that, is not found in what I've learned and I've tried for years of me just kind of, re, just my willpower that I can overcome this. If I just do better, I try harder, I, I do the stuff or positive thinking or whatever it may be. What I've learned is, is that it comes through hard work. It comes through meeting with someone and trudging through the dark parts of our heart and our soul and where those things come from. It comes from chopping off the root of the sin. So many times we, we look at the fruit and we're like, man, I see the fruit of pride in my life and I saw the fruit of pride in my dad's life and, and his dad's life and, and we just kind of try to chop off the fruit of pride rather than if I want a different fruit, I have to go to the root. And then I change the root of the issue and I, I bear that with the gospel and with, with brothers and sisters that will walk with me and, and giving it to the Lord continually every single day. And from the root, I get a different fruit. Rather than thinking I chop off the fruit, a different one's going to grow. No, if the root is the same, only in the hard work of soul care and development of the gospel in my own life will I see and be able to chop the root of the brokenness that is finding its way from one generation to the next generation to the next generation so that the fruit is different and it can change a generation. I'm baffled by myself. I read a book many years ago by Wayne Cordero. He's a pastor in, in, in um, Hawaii. I've prayed and asked God to call me there. He hasn't yet. I'm just, Lord, please. But he wrote a book called Divine Mentor, which was this thing that, that God's given us an unbelievable mentor that we look in Scripture and we see every situation that you're probably dealing with in life. You see it in Scripture. You see the outcomes of their actions and you see where God calls us to be. It's a divine mentor, if you will, that's walking in front of us. But yet, 
we still repeat the same things over and over and over again. And I just want to call us, rather than repeating the same things, repeating the same things in the, from the past, is we called to repent of those things, not repeat them. Repentance is going to the root of them, saying, Lord, I don't want this in my part of my life anymore. I want to repent of this. I want to leave this here with you. I want to walk in freedom. And that only comes through your gospel moving in my heart and my life. And what are those areas that you are repeating where God should have a holy chair in that area of your life, of reigning in that area? And what does it look like for you to repent of that, to leave it with the Lord and walk in a different way? Man, it might be just today saying, hey, uh, Jim, can you set me up with someone? Or will you or will Alex or someone else just trudge through these broken things that I have? Maybe it's even trauma to say, man, God, I want to cut this off at the root. And it might ever be perfect, but I want to strive towards walking with you, giving these things to you. Well, man, what does it look like when we reject God's reign in our lives? It's, man, we are sinning against God. We continue to repeat the same things, not learning from what God has called us to. And um, the last thing, we can sometimes experience the judgment of God in our lives. That's what we see with the king. Look with me in verse 24. Then from his presence, the hand was sent. And this writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mene, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed. Now think of this phrase. This is a weighty phrase. You have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Paris, in verse 28, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command, and Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck, and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. Verse 30, that very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed, and Darius, the Mede, received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. Sometimes we, we can experience the judgment of God like he did, like the king did here. See, Daniel delivers this, this rebuke or this judgment, if you will, in interpreting what was on the wall. And, and, and he just shares three words. God used one of them twice as probably an emphasis on, on, hey, your kingdom is numbered. Your reign is numbered. I want to say that twice. And the, these words, they, they actually are verbs. Many, literally, it means to count. And so Daniel's interpretation from God was this, that God has numbered your days. He's counted them, and your reign is about to be brought to an end. You, you've offended God. You, you're following in the same ways, and the judgment is that you're going to lose the kingdom. It's counted. Now, what he didn't know is it's counted that night. It's very short hours. And, and he goes on to tekel. means to weigh. The verb means to weigh. And Daniel's interpretation is that God has, has numbered your days, he's looked at them, and he's weighed them on the scales, and you're found wanting. Again, what a scary thing to hear from God, that you have been weighed, your life has been weighed, and you are found wanting. Paris means to divide, and this is the story, this is what happens, that the kingdom was split between the Medes and the Persians. This is what's going to happen, and it happened that night. 
See, well, well, the king's here, like, kind of busy in all of this, blaspheming God and throwing a party, all the while God was setting up the judgment outside the city walls. And what happened is that the Medes and the Persians, they dammed up the river, some, a mile up the, up the river, it dried up the river, and they just went through the tunnel system inside, and they didn't even know it was coming. And that night, he lost his life. He was killed, and he experienced the ramifications of his actions. And history books will tell us. They'll say, yeah, they'll, they'll prop it up to the Medes and the Persians. They're overthrowing it. But we know from Scripture, no, it's because God holds the, the heart of a king in hand, and he props people up, and he brings them down over and over again. And I can't say this enough every single week. What we live in in this country and around the world, God is fully in control. How I understand that, I don't know. But I do know he allows Daniel to walk through being captive for his kingdom and his glory to be on display. And he allows a Babylonian empire to overthrow God's chosen people in his divine providence. And then to judge the guy who's judging his people, he allows the Medes and the Persians to overthrow him. Because God is saying, I'm in control. Whether we want to admit it or not, whether we want to submit to it or not, God is in control. And what he calls from us is to submit ourselves into the control and the dominance and the reign of God in his kingdom and to live it out willingly because we love the Lord. And if we love him, what? We'll keep his commandments. And when we don't, there's things that come from that. Job is, in chapter 12, he says it very clearly, God makes nations great and he destroys them. He enlarges nations and he leads them away. God does it all the while. And again, I, when we were getting ready to preach this, I was struggling, like, what do you do with this section? And I just want to remind us and, and warn us that there is judgment that comes in this lifetime. When we sit and shake our fist at God and say, God, I will do what I want, couple of passages, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. I mean, it says, speaking to believers about who they are in the church in Corinth, he says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. 1 Corinthians goes on in chapter 3 in verses 12 through 15 that says, we will stand and give an account for the things that we've done. Those that are wood, hay, and stubble will be burnt, and those who are gold and silver and precious stone done with the right motives, they will last. And he says, he reiterates, you will be saved, but there is ramifications. Now, there's a lot of different perspectives, and that's not what I'm here for uh, on those specific passages, but they're there. And in the next series we're going to be moving to, we're going to be looking at Psalm 51 and, and David's sin with Bathsheba and her husband and all that he did and the ramifications for your actions. There's ramifications, there's judgment that I get to experience here and now because God loves me and he disciplines me and because God is just and he will not allow us just to shake our fist at him and say, I don't care what you say, I don't care how you call me, I don't care what you tell me to do in my life and the parts of my life I don't want to submit to you. Eventually God God will interact. David lost a son. 
And all I'm saying, I'm not saying this, and that's why I say I wrestle with what to share. I'm not saying this to scare you. I grew up in a world that, that, that was so, I was so worried about the wrath of God. Even as a follower of Jesus, I was scared that every time I sinned, God was going to flip my car over going down the road. That's not what I'm calling us to. We live under the grace of God, but may we live in the grace of God. Romans says, what shall, we sin, what shall we do? Shall we continue in sin that grace should abound? Should we just live and shake our fist at God and say, God, I don't care what you say. I prayed a prayer when I was 12, and I'm just going to live out your grace for the rest of my life and do whatever I want. No. He says what? God forbid. What he's really saying as he goes on, he says, man, if you're truly a follower of Jesus, you won't shake your fist at God and just say, God, I don't care what you call me to. But when we do, God will come after us because he loves us. And judgment may come here and now if we continue to shake our fist at God and say, God, you are, you are all-powerful, but I don't believe it enough to live it out. But he calls us by the amazing grace that he gives us, says that his mercy woos us and draws us to repentance. And that's what I want you to see, really, as I was, my heart in finishing, I was, we were going to do communion in the beginning, and I switched it, I just said, I'm going to land with communion today. And I'll invite the band to come as we, we go, and I'm running out of time. I want to end with communion today, because you know what's great is, is while we might experience the, the hand of God disciplining us, if we're a follower of Jesus, what does it say? There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. The, the wooing of God in our lives to not repeat those same things and repent of them is God's grace. The wooing of God to not continue to repeat sin and brokenness and, and to walk in freedom and allow God to have a seat in our heart that reigns in every area of our life is not being scared that God's gonna like hurt me or harm me. No, it's that God harmed himself, that God hurt himself so that we could experience true joy rather than judgment. That we could experience true life in Christ. And the greatest representation of that is communion, that we get to remember his body which was broken for us and his blood that was shed for us so that we could live out the kingdom of God in every area of our lives, experiencing joy rather than judgment, living out repentance rather than repeating the broken sins and blessing the Lord rather than blaspheming him only by the power of the cross because what Christ has done. You know, the Apostle Paul in Corinthians speaks to this idea of even around communion, that we would examine ourselves, that we wouldn't take communion unworthily. He's just saying the same thing that we've been talking about, that we may not be people that knowingly has brokenness and sin in our lives, and we just shake our hand at God hypothetically and say, God, I don't care. I'm going to take in a moment the pictures of what you did for me so I don't have to walk in sin and I'm gonna take them so flippantly, not caring that there is brokenness in my life, undealt with. And he says there's ramifications for that. He says some people sleep and some people are sick because of it. Again, this isn't to, and you better do this or God's gonna do that. No, 
the thing that compels us is the love of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God that is new for you today, no matter what place in your heart and your life where God is not ruling and reigning. Amen? May we leave this place knowing God loves me. He sees every broken part of me and he still comes after me. His grace is that I still have breath in my lungs today and I have a day to respond to the Lord today to say, God, you can have this part. I'm gonna do the best. It's been repeating itself in every generation before me, but God, by your grace, I want it to not pass to the next. And I wanna walk in freedom. So I'm gonna pray and the band's gonna just sing and maybe just sit and reflect and I'll come back up. We could take communion together. And then we'll uh, sing one song just declaring the reign of Jesus in this place. Let's pray together. God, thanks for who you are and what you've done and how much you love us. May your mercy and grace compel us to repentance and right living. May the joy of our salvation be restored today in this place. If there are areas of our lives that need to be repented of, where you need to have a seat, where we need to submit ourselves under your royal rule. There's places here today, God, people with many different things going on. May all of us in this place respond to you well in this time, responded of your good grace and mercy that was shed for us in your blood, that was broken for us in your body. And now you took all the sin all of our brokenness, all of our shame, all of our judgment, all of our condemnation, that we might live lives in response to that. In Jesus' name, amen.